0: Download it today at the Apple App Store or Google Play. Hunt stand, Upgrade your arsenal. Welcome to the How to Hunt Deer podcast. This podcast series was designed to educate those who are interested in becoming deer hunters. We cover a variety of topics that will help you become more confident and comfortable in the field while hunting deer. On this episode, the guys discuss everything that happens once the trigger has been pulled or the arrow has been released. At this time, being patient and observant is very important. The signs that are left behind once a deer has been shot will be a huge indicator of how far the animal will go before it expires. Keep your ears open. Another great episode of the How to Hunt Deer podcast starts right now. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, This is episode number 12 and today we're going to be talking about after the shot, right? We've already uh, in the last episode talked about pulling the trigger or letting the arrow go. We've hit the deer and uh, or maybe we've missed it, right? Uh, But the goal is that hopefully we've hit the deer and now we have to talk about what happens after the shot, Um, The goal, obviously, is to hit the deer, and we want it to die as quickly as possible. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes that doesn't. But, Hank, what are some good practices that we should be doing once we've identified that we've maybe hit the deer and uh, we're sitting in our tree stand or in our ground blind? What's the next step?
1: You know, first off, I I would... Usually, just assume that the deer was hit. You know, you know. Very rarely is it a full miss that you can confirm as as an actual you know hunter. An observer can can make a judgment call a little more than that. But as a hunter experiencing this act, you know, it, it's hard for you to be a good judge because you, you're going through it. But remain calm. You know, don't don't rush into anything. But you need to start building that reconnaissance as soon as you. You know, if, if the gun recoils or, or you loose that arrow, um, it's important to start taking mental notes of what you see and what you hear. Um, watch that deer and see if it reacts to the shot. You know, some deer might jump, uh, like vertically jump. That's often a good sign. If they kick their back legs, often it's a good sign that you hit right in that vital. But you can tell, um, you know, you can take some information based on how the deer reacts to the actual shot and then um you know you want to take a mental note of where the deer was when you shot and if it if it didn't fall to the shot you know where did it go and and how was it moving was it was it limping was it running with its tail tucked did it just look like a normal spook deer leaving the field um but all of that can can kind of build that information and eventually you know you're going to get down and go look for blood look for sign so you need to know where that deer was when you shot, and it's very helpful to know how it exited because oftentimes there might not be blood right where you shot the animal. It might take you know, a, a few seconds or a few steps to really start dropping blood on the ground. And so any kind of intel you have of, of which direction the deer went, it can help you to kind of put those puzzle pieces together and recover that deer.
0: Right. How long, elaborate that on uh, a little bit more of how long we should wait before we go tracking this deer we go after to see if it's dead or not
1: that's a lot of opinion there i I go back and forth on it um i kind of take some of that intel that we're talking about into account when when i'm I'm considering how long i'm going to wait you know a a traditional rule of thumb was to wait at least 30 minutes you know it's going to take you a couple minutes to pack up your stuff you know get down from the stand but you know take your time give that deer time to expire um, as, as Matt was mentioning in the previous episode, um, you know, if you make a good shot, this deer is probably, you know, expired within a minute or so. Through the field to fork hunts that we, we've been doing, um, you know, switching to crossbows versus guns and that, you know, um, I've been completely shocked at how effective some of these broadheads and, and bow combos are. And, you know, honestly, most of the deer that I've seen shot, whether it be archery or gun, you know, are... are are dying within the first hundred yards or so so there's there's often a good chance that the deer could fall right there or fall in view yeah but um it doesn't always happen that way but all of these implements are so efficient that if if we can make a good shot those deer are typically recoverable and not very far away yeah
0: and uh
1: and it happens quick
0: yeah and there's no real other conversation if you see it die in sight right that's that's the best thing. You see it die. Um, great. But there are times where it will run out of sight and you won't see it fall down and die. Um, Matt, what? once we've given the, you know, whether it's 30 minutes or an hour, whatever you feel comfortable with, uh, what is the next step? After we see the deer run away, what are we looking for, whether it's at the shot or at the location where we see it disappear into the woods yeah. or out of sight?
2: Those are the two two things that I really try to take note of is where, where it was standing when it was shot and where was the last point that I saw it. Make, make some kind of um, landmark uh, mental note of where it was when I saw those two things. I, I get down. I usually collect myself. I might have to text somebody, uh, let my wife know or a friend know that, that I shot at a deer so they know what I'm doing if I'm walking around. Um, collect myself and I get, collect all my stuff, get down safely if I'm in a tree stand. Um, and the first place I go to is where the deer was standing when I shot it and try to use the information that I, I viewed and observed from where I was hunting, um, how the deer reacted, and where it was standing, and I go there and collect a little bit more clues. Um, If uh, at the point of shot, there's blood, that's good. If there's hair, that that could be good. Uh, What color is the hair? Um, I I take in all that information. Uh, One of the things I think it's good, even if you do see the deer drop, is to still do that Mm -hmm. because all of that will help you kind of build your library of information going forward as you shoot other deer um, you'll say, I remember that deer that I shot in such and such a season. This is the, this, these are the clues that I saw when that happened. Um, I would then start following the path of the, that the direction that the deer took trying to, as best as I can walk that path and, and go towards the last location I saw it. trying to take in information the entire time, looking at the ground, looking for sign of tracks, but, specifically blood as well, the color of the blood um, and what the consistency of that blood is We'll talk about that uh, here real quickly and then going to the point of where I last saw the deer looking the whole time okay um, that's that's the first thing I would do when I get down
0: okay so now we have to if, if we don't know where the deer's at when it fell down we have to follow the blood trail mm-hmm. and you're gonna find out, that sometimes there's a lot of blood and that blood trail can be really easy to follow and then there are times when it there's not a lot of blood at all and this is very important when you're following this blood trail to be patient take your time and do something that i call mark last blood and that is leave maybe an arrow in the ground or leave your backpack at the last the last blood spot that you've seen until you find that next spot of blood and slowly follow that, uh, that blood trail all the way to the, the animal. Sometimes that can be 40 yards, 50 yards, 100 yards. Sometimes it can be much longer than that, depending on how far the deer ran, where you hit it. It could be a, a variety of different things. But staying calm and finding that uh, finding that blood trail following it up maybe even backing out and asking another friend or uh, another experienced hunter to come help you track this animal because you know four eyes are better than two six eyes are better than four and making it a you know uh, making it a a group thing to help recover this deer uh, as fast as humanly possible now Are there any, like, when it comes to following blood trail, and and anybody can hear uh, speak up on this, are there any tips or tricks that will help somebody follow a blood trail easier?
1: Well, a couple things. Um, You know, just like you were just speaking, um, if if that blood trail isn't, you know, a lot of blood in a parent, it might be a good idea to back out and call a friend to give it a little more time. A little more
0: time, absolutely.
1: So, you know, don't feel like you have to stay on it. Um, I, I like what y'all said about staying on the blood even if you think that deer went that direction you know when you get down to you know coming and, and meeting a new hunter I've had them tell me the deer went this way and it went the complete opposite way I think it's important best practice I'll say is to just stay on the blood and continue down that blood trail to find that deer even if you think you it, it went that way you know follow the actual blood but you can tell um, you know possibly where you hit it based on color of blood um, the way uh, the blood is on the ground. Like if, if there's a lot of bubbles in the blood, people tend to think it's you know a lung shot because mm-hmm. they're blowing, you know, air and blood out of their side or possibly, um, you know, some people say darker blood is more liver or whatnot. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know if we're always correct, but we all have those assumptions in our head that we're making based on what we're seeing and, I don't know if we're always right. Um, sometimes, you know, if, if you shot a little low, like Matt was mentioning, white hair, you know, is down on the belly. That can be an indicator. Um, and sometimes when you see just a little bit of blood, some people say it's probably a leg shot or something like that, where you actually missed the vitals and probably clipped a leg. But um, there's really no way of knowing that without seeing where know, the wound yeah. actually is on the animal.
0: Yeah. This is, this is kind of a, a tough this is a tough one because we've uh, shot the we've shot the deer Matt how long let's say we follow blood for a long a long ways and we we're not finding any deer but it maybe there's still blood or the blood oftentimes there'll be a good amount of blood but as the trail the blood trail keeps going the blood gets the the amount of blood gets smaller and smaller going to a drip here a drip here and a the blood trail keeps going or B we lose the blood trail and there's nothing to follow. What should uh, a a new hunter do at this point?
2: Uh, Well, the, the ethical thing to do uh, within reason is continue tracking the deer Yes, as as best as you possibly can. If you're on some kind of sign um, and you're on the property, if it crosses property boundaries, you're going to need to get permission to to continue tracking. Um, But in in my mind, when I've been in that experience uh, in that, situation before, um, I feel like there's evidence there I need to continue tracking until I get enough clues that tells me this is not a um, fatal hit. Yeah, And that may be walking up and jumping the deer and actually seeing where the hit is. Um, you may even get an opportunity at a second shot if that yeah. happens. It's, it's rare, but it happens. Um, or the just body of evidence is saying that you know we've gone such a far distance, and it is now clotting to the point where I'm getting less and less evidence uh, that we didn't lose it, but exhaust it to the best of your possible uh, capabilities. That may mean uh, following the trail for some time, it may mean coming back and actually looking for the deer uh, another day if you're if you're starting to. Uh, get towards the end of the evening, and you don't have good lights to go do it. It may mean calling in assistance. We'll talk about that, um, either friends or there. In some states, you have the ability to actually call in uh, tracking dogs uh, to be able to help you because they can smell what you can't see. Yeah. Uh, so, kind of the 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 message there is: don't give up. Yeah. Um, I know it is very disappointing to get to the point where you you already know. That you probably didn't make a great shot. But the last thing you want to do is walk out at that point just because you're so disappointed with yourself. Um, you got it. You owe it to the animal. You owe it to Absolutely. the resource to continue looking until you have either run out of options or have confirmation that it's not a,
0: a, a lethal hit. Yeah. yeah. And I've been in positions before where it's taken me 24 hours, if not more to locate a deer or I've, uh, made a bad shot. I know it, I back out and then I come back the next day after I've, i I give that deer some time to maybe go lay down mm-hmm. and expire at that point and then go look for him once it's all calm again.
2: The, one of the things you'll gain as you gain experience is watching the reaction of the deer and knowing if it is a poor shot at the point of when you actually shot at it. If you can gather enough evidence then and looking at uh, evidence on the ground where the deer was standing, you can decide right then when to come back. Yeah. We mentioned earlier, further back, like in the abdomen of the deer, um, it still will be a lethal hit, but it can take several hours for the deer to die. Not not the best situation, but um, instead of getting on the trail too quickly and getting the deer to move, um, which can be a problem because if you end up getting the deer to move and they their wound has basically sealed up you're going to lose the ability to track it um, a lot of seasoned hunters know if i make what we call a gut shot and have and like a further back shot uh, i'm going to come back in about six hours and it's you walk out of the woods you go to a cafe get some coffee do what you need to do but it, you're going to really increase the likelihood of recovering that deer because when a deer is not, when it's, when it's wounded in a place like that, it's still lethal, they're likely only going to go about 40 to 50 to 60 yards and then lay down because they're hurt. They're hurt. And yep. they're going to end up dying in that first place that they lay down. Whereas if you start following the trail too quickly, there's a pretty good chance you're going to make the deer move and you're going to decrease your chances of recovery. So we've been saying a couple of times, don't rush it. There's nothing wrong with getting out of the woods and coming back an hour, two, five, six hours later, yeah, the meat's not going to go bad. The deer's probably going to be there. Yeah. And-
1: Let me add one thing that you know can be significant is if you're archery hunting and you can recover that bolt or that arrow, you can learn a lot by yeah. examining that arrow. Yeah. Uh, if it's if it's covered in red blood, that's a good sign. If there's no blood on it, no hair, you probably missed. Um, But recovering that bolt or arrow can tell you a lot. It can tell you if it may have been a little far back, it might have some green, you know, food contents on it or have a a smell to it. But you can learn a lot from that bolt.
0: Absolutely. Okay. So we've, we followed the blood trail all the way uh, to the deer. There are times where maybe the deer has not 100% expired, but it is too hurt to get up and run away, Matt. What is the next step at this point?
2: You, you start judging whether or not you can take another shot. Yeah, that's what goes through my mind. If if I walk up on a deer and it's happened, that is hurt bad, and uh, I, I can see that it's not dead because its head's moving or something. I start already making a strategy of okay, I need to what we say finish this deer off. I have yeah. to I have to do a killing shot now. How can I best do that without alerting the deer I'm close by, and put that plan into place? And it it can happen. I've I've done it where yeah. I've put in a second, final lethal shot on the deer, um, and then recovered it.
0: Okay. Then we have the best scenario, right? Where everything's gone right. We we follow we follow the blood trail, and there it is. Our first ever deer that we've ever shot. And I'm dude. I'm getting goosebumps just talking about that because it is. I can remember my first deer and it was one of the greatest moments of my life. I I was so jacked up about it. What, what's the next step, Hank? We We're standing over top of this, this deer that we've just shot.
1: You know, that, that's really up to the individual. I mean, um, people react differently to their first deer and, and, and so they should, but um, you know, I often take a moment with the deer, think it, for its life you know examine it look at it where was my shot you know just check it out take it in um i think that's the first step and and then there are some regulations you know some some states require like we talked about earlier that you tag that deer before you move it before you put a knife to it um anything like that um but i mean especially if it's your first year take a moment take it in learn from it check it out um you know you don't have to rush into anything.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I I recommend, you know, having someone there to take pictures. This is a yeah. this for, for a hunter it may not seem like a really big moment to to you at that time, but it is. Like your first my first year is a that, that was a big moment for me so capture that moment and you have this memory that you can put on your wall or you can put uh, in a photo album or you know keep it a picture of it somewhere and and it is it's it's something to, it's a keepsake
1: you know that's something that um non-hunters often you know question like why why would you take your your photo with a, a dead animal i mean we even see it with field to hunters like I'd say, you know, 10%, 15% of them like, I, I really don't want my photo taken with it. But I'm right there with you. I really do believe, like, um, you know, whether you keep a hide or, or the antlers or, you know, whatever, you know, those things deteriorate uh, and, and, you know, stuff like that. But that picture can live on. Yeah. And, and I'm a huge fan of taking, you know, a, a good, respectful photo of myself with that deer um, and, and putting it away as that, that memento or keepsake.
0: Yeah. All right, we've taken our moment now, right? But now there's work to be done, okay? Matt. What do we have to do after we've taken our moment, after we've celebrated this, um, we we gotta we gotta do some things, right? Uh, what are some of these things that we have to do?
2: Once you've uh, enjoyed the moment and uh, done anything legal with tagging, uh, in some cases, you can tag the deer. You have to do it right then. Sometimes you have to do it um, once you actually physically put it in a vehicle to move it. Um, but the first thing that needs to be done is you need to remove the entrails, the the guts out of the deer, because, um, the meat is starting to not spoil, but it's, it's holding the heat in the deer, um, where most people will field dress the deer. Um, well, I shouldn't say most, it's based on tradition (laughs) and where you are in the country. Some places in the country, field dressing occurs in the field. That's Mm -hmm. why it's called field dressing. So you're going to, um, do that all with a knife with the deer on its back right where it, where it ended up. Um, in some parts of the country, the tradition is more of to get the deer in the vehicle and get it to a, uh, a place that you can do that while the deer is hanging. Uh, sometimes that's called a skinning shed and uh, being able to do that while the deer is, is in the air. Um, but the quicker you can get the entrails out of the deer, the better because you're going to start cooling that deer down and the meat down and allowing it to uh, get to the next step in the process.
0: Yeah. So... What happens if we, you know, obviously we want to, we, we, we take our moment, we feel dressed the deer, we, we gut it, we take all the, the, the heart, lungs, uh, liver, guts out of it um, in hopes that we, uh, we're we cooling the meat down so we can have the meat. What happens if it takes us a day or two to find the deer, uh, you know, we, we didn't have that that shot how long does it actually take in your opinion Uh, and i know this this is a a more of a conversation there's there's less of a right or wrong answer here but how uh when should we start being concerned if the meat is quote unquote gone bad or we maybe we shouldn't keep this animal
1: that it depends a lot on the environment I yeah. mean, what's the temperature of that day? Is it, did you shoot the deer in the evening, where it's you know going into nighttime and cool, or you know are you hunting early season in the south where it might be eighty five degrees or plus that day? Um, but it has a lot to do with environmental factors, and um, it's really on a case by case basis, I'd say. But in all honesty, um, you know, deer does I mean their meat doesn't go bad that often. It's not really something um that I've experienced where I've, I've recovered a deer that had spoiled unless it was an unrecovered deer and, and was found much later. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, but it's definitely a concern. There is no definitive answer um, but I tend to um, have heard a few reports and I think we have an article on it on our website but typically, typically if it's getting below 40 degrees it's that fine. night or whatever then I I, I My train of thought is is that deer will be fine staying out overnight, um, that kind of stuff. But a hot day, uh, it's going to spoil a lot faster.
2: Yeah, recovering the deer the day after the shot, especially if it was an afternoon shot, is no problem at all. No problem. No problem. If you you end up having to back out and go back the next morning and you find it, the meat will be fine. If that day is in the 70s or 80s all day and you don't find the deer till that evening... Um, it's starting to get to the point where it's probably um, not salvageable. But if in parts of the country, if it's the middle of deer season, it's probably maybe 45 degrees at most during the middle of the day. Um, so it could still be sitting out there in daylight and still not be that warm.
0: Yeah, yeah. So we've we've taken the, the, the guts out, all of the, the vitals, the heart, lungs, everything. Let's
1: it, just say one thing on that is, you know, that can be a really daunting task. It's yeah, something that doesn't that keeps hunters from going back by themselves is that confidence level of being able to take care of that animal after the shot. Yep. And, and before we move on that from that, I just want to say that, you know, make yourself comfortable. If you're not comfortable, call a friend or somebody who can help you, uh, having extra people throughout this whole process we are currently discussing can be beneficial. Um, but also you really can't mess it up. Yeah. Yeah. You might pop a stomach or you might make a little bit of a mess, but that meat will still be fine. Don't overthink it. We've all made mistakes doing it. Experienced hunters make mistakes or the shot was bad and there's already, you know, a hole in something you really didn't want to pop. But, you know, just get through it. And we talked about the previous episode. You know, a lot of people carry rubber gloves. They even make, like, shoulder-length gloves. There is an art to staying clean in the field and not getting this all over you and your clothes. I mean, that's what the experienced guys really do. But um, take your time. Don't get overwhelmed by it. Everybody can do this. Yeah.
2: And similar to uh, the shop placement, we talked about there are great resources out there. We have a shop placement video. Um, this is where, again, a smartphone comes in great yes. uh, where you could literally, if you have good service, dial up a video while you're standing next to the deer and watch uh, how there are tons of good videos on how to we have one at the National Deer Association but there's there's lots of them out there how to field dress, dress a deer. People do it differently um, in different parts of the country, whether again, you're in the field or, or in, a, in a shed but um, I, I would personally if you've never done it before, watch and you don't have somebody there with you, watch a video almost like you're doing a how-to. Um, it'd be hard to do this on a podcast, but you can literally watch it as if you were doing that step by step, step by step. Okay. And this is what I got to do next. Put the phone down. Your, Your phone might get a little dirty, but do the next step and then watch the next part of the video. It's, it's accessible.
0: I would do that almost before even going hunting, just so you have an idea of uh, what that process will look like. And I will tell you from experience, uh, I remember field dressing my first deer and it it did not happen quick. It took me 30 plus minutes to maybe even 45 minutes to properly uh, field dress my deer. And now with all the experience that I've had, it's, it's become much quicker and easier, and you learn shortcuts and you learn what how to do it your way, and it, it all becomes a, a preference at that point.
1: And you learn little tricks of the trade. I mean, Mark Kenyon showed me a couple ways that he does it different than I do last year. I'll also say, um, and I, I'm not really a huge advocate for this, but um, there are processors, dear processors, and we'll get into processing in a later episode, but. Um, I see it more and more often in the southeast where hunters are just throwing their whole deer in, on the back of the vehicle or truck and taking it to the processor. So that is an option. Yep. I prefer to get the guts out as soon as I can and let that meat start to cool. That's really our goal here is to get the entrails out and allow the heat uh, to start to dissipate from the body. But you can take a whole deer to many processors and they will gut it for you they'll be on average that I've found they're going to charge you about $20 more of the fee to process the deer for you but it is an option and I see a lot of people doing it these days um it might be laziness it might be convenience I don't know but honestly field dressing is is it's a daunting task but it's easily doable and I I recommend people learn how to do it
0: absolutely now now that we have the the guts out and it 's ready we 're ready to whether it 's drag the deer out of the woods or um, start some other processes of, of skinning or taking the meat out which uh, we 'll we'll talk about the the actual processing part in the next episode, but sometimes we keep we there's some things that we keep right maybe we want to keep the uh the, the hide the the skin for uh, and have it tanned for you know a rug or something to hang on our wall or if it's a buck we keep the you know we keep the the skull and the antlers is there if we want to do that is there anything special that we need to do Matt on on keeping some of these things and and keeping it without them spoiling for the most part,
2: no. I mean, like the the different things you listed, antlers aren't going to spoil. You know, in some cases, you might need to look at the teeth of the deer. That's not going to spoil to determine the age. If you're hunting on a in a location that needs to get collect that that biological data, um, the hide uh, there is there are some not concerns but considerations there of if you want to keep the hide, but it's not going to spoil any any quicker than the meat would. So yeah. Um, I would say removing the deer from the field and getting whatever out. If you have the ability to get it into some type of uh, all-terrain vehicle or pickup truck or back of a car as quickly as possible um, without having to drag it too far, one, it's just easier. I'm mean, right. not trying try to be lazy, but it's, it's a lot of work dragging a deer out. Um, there are different things that you can purchase or, or get to help with the assistance of removing the deer, but... I. I try to get as close as I can to something to be able to put it in the back of so that I don't have to to drag. And there is concerns with damaging the hide a little bit. Some hair might pull out if you want to keep that, but it's it's not of great concern. If dragging is, uh, or if you don't have a vehicle, um, they make carts, they make sleds that you can use that make it a lot easier. But if you end up having to drag the deer out, and I've done that, um, there are different ways you can use. We talked about the gear uh, episode, having a, a rope, um, on bucks, you can tie it around the antlers on, uh, on any deer bucks or does, you can tie it around the neck or around the front legs and, and the front torso, um, trying to get that head off the ground. And as long as you pull the deer generally head first, the hide won't get damaged too much because right. the hair goes that direction. So it just slides, uh, for the most part, unless you drag it over rough terrain, rocks, Roots, it might pull a little hair out, but those are the biggest concerns. But the quicker you can get it into some kind of vehicle to move it uh, without having to drag it, the less damage it will be.
0: Yeah, and uh, if for some reason it is a deer that you want taxidermied, there's a uh, another set of steps that need to happen. Uh, you need to hang the deer. You need to take the the cape off, and again, videos, uh, cape or skin. Uh, again another set of videos on youtube and resources that you can watch step-by-step processes on how to remove the skin and take the head off and take it to a taxidermist there there
2: are different stages of preservation to remember that keepsake just like the photo you can save just the antlers there there are great ways to display that you can display no skin and what they call basically a skull mount or european mount, mount yep um, which is uh, the white skull with antlers, that's a way to display it. And then the the way that you would want to keep the hide or the cape um, is full taxidermy where the head is on display. And what they do, uh, for those that don't know, um, the inside of that is just foam. It's a foam center that is shaped like a deer, and they take the hide off the deer, um, preserve it, and attach it to that foam core and use other artistic effects like the eyes are not real they're glass um paint for the nose to make it look black and they just attach the antlers on it um there's the only thing that would be of concern there is the hide and the antlers and the hide can be preserved very quickly and easily and it's not going to spoil so
1: fast that you have to worry about it
0: absolutely hank any final thoughts on on this after the shot moment
1: no um if you got any concerns ask for help i mean um you know I'm I'm a fairly experienced hunter but I, I wouldn't cape a deer for somebody I'm not you know I I can skin it up to the head and <laughs> and 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 take it from there but you know if you were really caping a deer for taxidermy you 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 have to do a lot of intricate skinning it's yeah. not it's not an easy task but um you know just take your time here um you know honestly the safety of just like be careful with your knife um, especially if you're you know, away from your house or or other people. Like you don't want to cut your finger or anything too bad. So be, be, be slow, be diligent, uh, take your time and do it right.
2: Yeah. So my final thoughts, Dan are, um, unless you're in a really remote area, most people are going to be taking the deer out whole, especially in the East. But like in some situations you might need to quarter that deer and get it out in pieces. And there's, that's, that's an option. Um, and there, there are resources to learn how to do that. Again, that would be difficult to do in the podcast. But getting the entire deer out, um, and a lot of folks will hang the deer. You don't have to do that. But cooling it down as much as possible. In some situations where it's warm, you can put bags of ice inside the deer's cavity to help cool it down fast. Um, and then at some point, you are will want to take the skin off the deer. If you're processing it yourself, That's that's a step, and we'll talk about that next uh but if you're having somebody cut the deer up for you uh they they will they will do that they will remove the hide so you can just drop the entire deer off whole drop it out with the guts out the skin will will be removed by the processor but it's good skill to have you know to learn how to remove the skin it's actually not that difficult people that I've talked to that are new hunters are surprised at actually how easy the hide or skin comes off a deer um and i like to teach people that process because i it allows them in really just about a ten-minute time period to watch this animal become food. That that step of removing the skin is where it automatically transitions for many people of, yeah. wow, that looks like something hanging in the butcher shop. Yes. and that's exactly what it was, what it what it is. So, um, skinning, skinning the deer is part of it, and then finally, what are you going to do if you are going to be driving with the deer to a processor, driving with the deer home if you're, um, if you're not hunting where you live. Um, and if you bring it to a processor, they will uh, dispose of the carcass. But there are concerns. There's laws about moving whole deer around, and it's something I'll just touch on briefly here, is that moving deer, you're moving whatever comes with the deer. And sometimes there are issues with deer diseases and things that they might carry. And uh, you need to know the regulations. There's, yes. a, there's a pretty serious disease that deer have in some parts of the country called chronic wasting disease. And if you're about to travel with that deer, you need to, to really be up on the regulations of whether or not you can move that carcass um, and how many miles you can move it. Um, if you're hunting near home, you, you solve a lot of issues because you're not going to be breaking any law at all. But if, uh, if you're going to be some, going some distance, those are things you need to know
1: you know one final consideration for you know the warm weather hunter or whatever um you know you need to get that that deer cooled down and taken you know um they make these gigantic you know igloo coolers cheap cheap coolers and it's a good thing to have so just for the frame of mind you know we would take the deer you know we're, we're kind of like matt was saying a lot of the times we bring it to a rack skin it you know gut it skin it um if you can fit it once you get the guts out the skin off the head off you know it's looking like that that livestock hanging in the butcher shop as matt's talking if you can put that whole thing in a cooler on ice uh that's that's how we do it a lot of times in the south you know up in the north when it's cold y'all can hang them in your yard for a week and we we can't do that so you know again that consideration of of climate and everything but You can, you know, put either, if you can't fit the whole thing in the cooler, quarter it up, as Matt was mentioning. Put it, uh, you don't want it really sitting in water, but if you got some structure in that cooler to keep it up and put ice under it, but, you know, make sure that cooler is staying cold. You can leave that deer in that cooler for a couple days until you have time to break it down at your house or, or take it to a processor. But kind of that end point for us, when it's too hot to leave one hanging outside, is getting it into that cooler and then you know we can go do whatever we need to and you can leave it for days or you know you can take it to the processor or process it yourself whenever you get a chance but once you get it you know gutted and skinned and in that cooler you kind of got some time to do whatever else you want to do
0: thanks for listening to today's episode if you want to find out more information and utilize additional resources, visit DeerAssociation.com slash Hunting 101. There you will find links to the YouTube series, Guide to Successful Deer Hunting eBook, new hunter sign-up sheets, and Deer Hunting 101 courses. Additionally, you can listen to more outdoor-themed podcasts at Sportsman'sNation.com, on iTunes, or anywhere you download your podcasts.